to fully appreciate what is happening in this story about Mary, the mother of Jesus, I want to put it in context and take us to the story that comes right before it. Zechariah was a priest who, while fulfilling his priestly duties, was interrupted by the angel Gabriel. The angel announced that his wife Elizabeth would have a son in her old age after years of being barren and praying deeply. Zachariah couldn't believe it. He questioned the angel, and in return, Gabriel silenced him. Just as we think that the text is going to take us next to the birth of John the Baptist, instead we find the same angel Gabriel announcing to Mary that she, a poor, unwed young girl from a small province of the Roman Empire, is going to birth the Son of God into the world who will save everyone. The text tells us she was perplexed. She pondered what this announcement might mean. And as another translation says, she was greatly troubled. In 2008, I had just graduated from Auburn University. I was 22 years old and making a permanent move from my home state of Alabama here to Tennessee. For the first time in my life, I felt truly called to do something by God, and that was to work full-time for a nonprofit ministry called Mountaintop. Mountaintop is an hour and a half from here near Monteagle, Tennessee, but in Grundy County, a very rural and economically impoverished piece of Appalachia. I had worked there during my summers of being in college, and there on the mountain, I met a woman named Mary Margaret Willems. I first met her because she hosted a backyard barbecue for all of us college students who were there to serve for the summer. When I made that permanent move to the mountain, Mary Margaret became a very close friend of mine. I worked with her daughter, Julie, and after work, we would often go over to Mary Margaret's for dinner or swinging on her back porch or watching Dancing with the Stars, or doing puzzles together, of which she told me I'm not very good at. <laughs> She's right. When I started to look for a home church up on the mountain, it was Mary Margaret who invited me to come and sit on her pew every Sunday. And looking back, she really touched my life and taught me many lessons of faith. Like when you give, you give your best. And it's possible, even in the midst of pain, to keep on living, to keep on serving, no matter how old you are. See, Mary Margaret and her husband Bob felt called to relocate to Tennessee in their 60s. And every day they supported this ministry that they loved. I learned just this week that her husband Bob, who's 75, just started seminary at Asbury. At age 67, my friend Mary Margaret passed away on April 4th, 2013 from breast cancer. In the year prior, in the midst of all of her treatments, she offered her house as a place to host a healing service. So there we set up an altar in the middle of her grass 
and she shared with everyone there a piece of her testimony and her story. She told us that while lying in a CAT scan machine on that cold and lonely table, she felt isolated and she felt very anxious. And the thought crossed her mind as it has with many of us, why me? As that question lingered in the air, in the stillness and the silence, she suddenly felt surrounded by the presence of God. A hush came over her and a new thought surfaced. Why not me? In my seasons of suffering, I have thought back to this moment of Mary Margaret's and tried to ask why not me? But I've also noticed in the seasons of my doubt, of doubting if I can really do what God has called me to do, I have to quietly speak to myself, why not me? See, in our text today, a woman named Mary is surrounded and enveloped by the presence of God. And she is perplexed, and she is pondering, and she is troubled. And I think maybe asking, why me? But this angel is here to reassure her and offer a different perspective. Why not you? Gabriel, I think, makes this clear because he says to her twice, Mary, you are favored. He goes on to remind her what she already knows about God. The Lord is with you. You do not have to be afraid. Nothing is impossible. I hear him saying, Mary, you are somebody in the eyes of God. So today, I hope that we can begin to believe that we are somebody in the eyes of God. If you feel inadequate or insignificant or unsure about your abilities, remember the truth. You are favored, you are chosen, you are called. In fact, I think that each of us is called to bring about the kingdom of earth in specific ways. See, the text says to us that Mary will birth a son and he will be named Jesus. He will be great, called the son of the most high. We will give him the throne of David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants and his kingdom will never end. But for his kingdom to never end, we, like Mary, have to say yes to co-creating with God, to partnering with God here and now. In fact, if we step back and we look at all the stories we retell during this season of Advent, we see how God calls each person to be an active participant in salvation. All of them are afraid. All of them are uncertain. Yet they all choose to believe in the message that God has given them, not knowing how the story will unfold. When we take a look at Mary and Zechariah, they both ask, how can this be? And so I find it reassuring that when God is giving us a task, it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to be afraid. But in response to this question, the angel does two things. He describes exactly that God will come upon Mary and overshadow her and give her power. And he witnesses to the work of God by announcing that Elizabeth will have a child in her old age. 
So maybe we too have to believe that when the moment comes, God will overshadow us and give us power and cover us with God's wings. And perhaps sometimes we have to look back and remember how God has done the impossible in our lives. Maybe we have to look back and remember how God has been faithful to us so that we can believe that God will do it again. Our children sang beautifully, and we've said this throughout Advent, that this is a season where we wait. Mary and Elizabeth said yes to God, but as any woman who's been pregnant knows, the waiting had just begun. They were going to live in this liminal space for nine months. But what we often miss is Zechariah was also silenced for nine months. He didn't speak until after John was born. And so maybe we have to sit in a liminal space from the time God first plants a new calling or a new dream into our hearts from the time it actually comes into fruition. Maybe we have to wait patiently in the silence, actively listening. Maybe we have to allow God to grow and nourish and knit and weave together God's dream within us. Mary isn't sure why she's chosen, and she doesn't know how it will be possible. But in the end, she says this, here I am, the servant of the Lord, and let it be with me according to your word. Later in Luke chapter one, she is going to sing because of the work of God in her life. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. I think that Mary teaches us that joy and purpose and meaning in this life comes from being a servant of God. True happiness comes from being engaged in the redemptive work of God. As I reread this text and it worked on me this week, I thought to myself, I want a heart that rejoices in being used by God, not a heart that says somebody else can do it, not a heart that grumbles, not a heart that complains about being tired, not a heart that doubts, not a heart that doesn't step out because of fear. I want a servant heart like Mary's. Do you? On a deep level, if your soul is longing for a change, if you feel like you have no dream and no purpose and no calling, if you feel stuck and unhappy in life, perhaps it is time to start saying, here am I, God. Take my life and let it be with me according to your word. Because if we really believe the gospel, this is what matters in life. And maybe for some of us, it is time to go all in and let God radically change your life. You are favored, you are chosen, you are called. And I believe that if you make yourself available to God, God will overshadow you and begin working within you. And it will not only lead to redemption for the world, it will lead to your own salvation. 
In this story, saying yes to God made Mary a mother. And those of us who are parents believe that we were saved in many ways we needed saving by becoming a parent. But no matter what it is that God is asking you to do, when you say yes to God, you can expect to be saved, you can expect for your deepest desires to be fulfilled, you can expect to be changed and to help bring about the kingdom on earth. And so I do deeply believe today that in this season of waiting and longing and yearning, saying yes to God will lead to your advent, your coming into being. So my prayer is that we can meet God's waiting and God's longing and God's yearning for the kingdom to never end by saying, here am I, a servant of the Lord, why not me? Amen.